This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. And I hate these guys. You know what that is, Billy? Nope. I don't. Okay, it's, fine, I do. Okay, you told me right before. You you pre-planned this ridiculous intro. It's the bar and, it's the bar scene from Star Wars. Yeah, I know all about it. And if you've watched if you watched any of the any of the The Circus? Yeah. The, and it's the last two weeks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just criticizing the the Democrats. Oh, okay? both of them were both services. of them. Have do you watch the conventions? I mean, I know we talked last I, week about the GOP convention, and you were kind of gone and out, and I was gone and out this week. And I mean, not out, but like, just I I kind of stayed unplugged from the convention, probably more than I should have this week. But I I watched them. But I, this week I had to tune out. I just couldn't take it anymore. Not just because it was the Democratic one or the Republican, or just because I went through the week of the Republican yeah. one, watched a good chunk of it, and I was exhausted. Then going into this one, it was like, this is going to take even more energy that I just don't have. Um, so I watched selective parts of it. I watched Bill Clinton on mute, which was actually <laughs> wonderful. Um, and I read well, about looks- it. Uh, but I watched, obviously, I watched Hillary yesterday. I didn't watch Obama. I did watch Michelle. So I selectively chose. Bill looks frail, doesn't he? I mean, uh, was, yeah, it's funny. They, they he does like I he caught he caught like he caught whatever his buddy George H W Bush has, which is old, oh, you are which is terrible. old oldness because he looks he doesn't he doesn't look good to me. Uh, no. But anyway, it's bar scene from Star Wars, which is what the conventions remind me of. And I'm not just talking about the Democratic convention. The Democrats, the the liberal mindset of the Democratic Party, and and the things. And we're going to get into some of the platform things that that we noticed. Um, uh, the crazy town of the politics, but I'm just the the people there. When you watch it, you know we, we joked once about how CPAC is like a Star Trek convention. It's worse. <laughs> the convention, the party conventions are. I'm. It's crazy town. I mean, you watch the people who are on there, and it's all the crazies from from the from the extremes of both parties. 
And it's like they're wearing American flag themed items that you never like imagined cow- would cow- be produced cowboy anywhere. Ha- cowboy hats, moo-moos, all sorts of things. Is that like like very bizarre things. Bedazzled things. It's really Anyway, I hate the conventions. I really I mean, I don't mind the news that's brought from them, but watching the people at the conventions just makes me go, "Oh, these are the people who are really going to influence who our next president you know what's scary to me, actually, and I and I have to bring this up because I know you know Buck Sexton and others were joking about this, and and I noticed it um, when I was watching Bernie. I also watched Bernie Sanders. Right. Uh, the bizarre crying and obsessive melting down over him. It was like a it was like a Beatles concert gone bad, and it was really sad to me because I thought all of these people have placed their faith so deeply right. into a person. That right. they're weeping, little right. weeping willows. Yeah. And it, I'm like, wow, imagine if we put that energy towards things that mattered. <laughs> it's sad. Well, and I'm watching this, and again, watching both conventions, it's really, it's not just the craziness of the, the crazy base who's there, but it's also the rah rah my team thing. Now, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody saying, I, you know, I'm, I, I vote Republican and I, I'm pretty loyal to the Republican Party and that sort of thing. But the, when you watch the conventions, when it looks like, if you go if you go to a, a a Pittsburgh Steelers game, everybody's wearing Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. If you go to a Seattle Seahawks game, everybody's wearing number twelve jerseys. I mean, it's all but it's, so it's all just the team. It's all the Democrats, yeah, 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 Republicans, yeah, 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 without a real focus on the issues by the people who are making up the the cheerleading squad of the team. They don't care what the what the what their team seems to be saying. It seems in a lot of times. But I, that drives me crazy. The other thing that I noticed was eight years ago, Republicans were rightfully criticizing the Democrats for looking to uh, Barack Obama as you know some sort of savior that's going to save the world. He, this one man, is going to do this. He's going to save the world. And, and then the Republicans eight years later turned around and did the same thing with Donald Trump. I mean, that's what he campaigns on. Only I, Donald Trump, can save the world. I can, lower this, I, can lower the, I can lower the sea levels and I can build a wall that Mexico will be forced to pay for. It's like, no, you can't. Nah. Look, I, I agree with you. I have to give this to Hillary. I thought she gave an excellent speech. Like if we're, if we're not, and I know people, I said this on Twitter and people were like, oh, that's not true. I find her to be relatively flawless and a good arguer. I don't think she's oh, compelling she's or terrible. interesting, but I find her speeches to go off without a hitch. I don't love them. I'm not captivated. She's not like Obama with the effect, but you feel like, wow, she actually knows what she's talking about, uh, even if no. I don't agree with what she's saying. So I have to. I can pull myself out of it and say I thought that was good. A lot of people tweeted me and said that's not true. I don't. Feel but that I way do about think her. she gave a great speech. I, I don't feel. I don't feel that way about her at all. I find her horribly insincere. I don't think she believes a thing that she's saying. Well, that's why I said not the effect, but the delivery. But, I'm but talking about but, the delivery. But for me, the delivery of it at the same time, I, I feel like it's a delivery that that to me it falls flat, and not simply that's because I you already, know her. It's not. It's not simply because I already dislike her. It's that I just don't think. Anyway, I. I She's well, a look, terrible she's, speech giver. She has a terrible presence. And it makes I agree it, with it, that. But I think the delivery, the the actual oration of it, what she's saying, it's resonating, which is why she's the candidate. So then I mean, not the is, oration, the, not the oration, the content of it. Because the oration's terrible. She is a terrible speaker. I didn't speaker. think it was last night. That's what I'm saying. I uh, do think she's generally not a great speaker. But last night, I think I think she's not a terrible communicator, like people have said it. So, I mean, look. So now you're a so now you're a now you're a Hillary guy? 
No, not at all, of course. But but I'm saying I think she gave a good speech last night. And even my even my wife, who is not a fan of Hillary, was like, that was not a bad speech. I yeah. mean, it wasn't. And I think she hit on all the things she felt like she needed to yeah. to hit back at Trump. What did you what did you think of her uh she comes out dressed she always dresses like Kim Jong il. <laughs> Stop saying it because I well, first of all, I thought, wow, she's got white on for her coronation. I was like, what, this is so What fitting. was that? I didn't understand that. She looked it was like, like this a wedding. Glo- she, she looked like, is, like this, this glowing orb right there on look, stage. Look, well, it is an orb. And and Hillary has been the every moment of Hillary's breath for the last 40 years has been for that moment. Yeah. And you could just see it on her face. She's like uh, she would have run over a baby squirrel <laughs> to get the presidency. She Absolutely. was willing to do whatever she had. Yeah. To, and yeah. and there she was. She was on that stage. So yeah, I guess white was the it was her way of saying I'm ready to marry you America. I'm ready know. to, you it's, know, I don't know. She's just awful. There's nothing. There's nothing about her that's appealing. I mean, to me, there's nothing. Even like Barack Obama, right? I can watch him and go, you know what? Not a bad orator most of the time. And you know, I and I think he. I do think he loves his wife and his kids. I do. I do believe. I do genuinely believe those things. There's nothing about Hillary Clinton to me that is positive. There's there's nothing likable about her. There's nothing about her that I go, well, yeah, she's good at that. I mean, there's nothing. I don't think she, I don't think, I don't find her all that bright, right? And this, you know, it takes one to know one, right? I don't find myself all that bright. I'm obviously not horribly intelligent, and so I can I can easily identify fellow dullards. See, I do think she's intelligent, and this is where you and I part. I think she's intelligent. I don't think she has the delivery of Barack Obama, let's say, right? I I don't. I think you're right. I think he can captivate an audience and, you know, try, try to sell you... You know, the belief that the sky is purple. Yeah. She can't really do that, but I do think she's extremely intelligent. I know. I, f- I find her. I find her to have a room temperature IQ. Well, I <laughs> look. I can only assess based on how she's handled herself in the middle of chaos, right? And she's had a lot of chaos, and the Clintons basically get away with everything. But but she's been able to handle that and manipulate it in a way that I think most people wouldn't be able to, and that takes intellect. Uh, that's, I, well, it takes drive, certainly. She's very, she's very determined to be president. She's very determined to be in charge. So she's not going to let anything. And you think she will be, right? I do. I still think she's going to win. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You're still pretty, you're still pretty convinced that your boy Trump's going to pull this off, aren't you? Uh, I am. Are you fifty-five forty-five? You're still, you're sticking with fifty-five forty-five for right now. That's not horribly, I mean, that's not horribly firm in your. I mean, you used to be like he's definitely going to win. Now, it's well, like, I still think he's definitely going to win. But, well, fifty-five you know, forty-five I, is not definitely. That's just like well, he's going to win. But in a general win. election, it is. Oh, so you're 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 not your fifty-five forty-five isn't your odds. You're you're thinking he's going to win fifty-five percent of the vote. No, no, no. I mean, it's my odds. Uh, I think it'll be college? closer than that. But okay. it's 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 my odds. I think I think it'll be closer than that. I just. I don't want to sell myself up the river totally, so I'm going to go 55-45 instead of 70-30. But now, I know P- I, somebody told me yesterday he could close his eyes, Donald Trump, and not say another word until the election, and he's going to slide right in. No, you know, she, not she's, but I don't think that. No. I think it's going to be a tough battle, but I think he will win. No, I give, see, I give her about a 65. I think I told you yesterday. I said I gave her about a 65 to 70% chance of winning. Didn't Every, Eric Erickson and and Glenn and a bunch of others also say the same? Haven't they? A lot of people sort of come around to you know. I'm I'm not sure. I know Glenn has said before that he thinks Hillary's going to win, but then he changed that to that Donald Trump's going to win, and then I don't know where he is. I know that has changed a couple times. Well, it's going to change throughout. I mean, we could talk in a month, and something could happen that um, would totally yeah. In fact, Eric Erickson, I'm just looking right now, wrote on the resurgent uh, this week 
that um, I now believe Donald Trump is on track to win the presidency, which is kind of fascinating. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. I have said repeatedly over and over the... Uh, he's, he's admitting in the beginning, I've said I do not believe Donald Trump will win the presidency. Yes, it's always been possible, but it's very, very improbable. I've also said, okay, then um, it, it seems like he's changing his view on it. It's huh, interesting. 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 All right. So, um, so speaking of the, the, let's not let's not fully transition here. So I'm not going to tra- play our transition music unless you think it's a, a unless you think it's necessary. Nah. All right. Um, so let me get back over here. And uh, but you had a story about something unusual on the Democratic platform, including a lot of there are a lot of unusual things that we found about the Democratic platform this week. One of them is quite substantive, and one of the, you know some of them are quite substantive, and at least one of them is is very political. What's that unusual thing that you discovered? William. Well, I, I can't take total credit for it, <laughs> oh, okay. but I can say I can say that um, this was something that was sort of circulating out there about the platforms. You know, I did a, a number of pieces on the platforms beforehand on the draft proposals, what was right. in them. And then the, in the final version tends to be pretty similar to the final draft right. you know, version of it. Yeah. Um, but the Democratic platform sort of <laughs> separates from tradition. And I don't know how far back I haven't analyzed every single right. platform, but but generally speaking you don't focus the platform on the opposing candidate you by naming them you right. talk about your ideas you talk about opposing ideas but the democratic platform and and i guess let me lead first with their gop platform the gop platform names the word clinton five times okay right. the name clinton is in there five sure. times and four of them as far as i can understand and, and i've seen are references to her husband hillary's husband bill okay. Right. One of them is a reference to Hillary when she was Secretary of State. Right. You compare that to the Democratic platform, you've got 32 mentions of Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump, 32. And there, now he claims on Twitter, I think I saw a tweet from him today, that she spoke about him 22 times last night during her speech. 32, so they are making it very clear. They 32 want to talk times about in, in a 51-page document, that's, that's once every page and a half. Donald it's Trump, ridiculous. Donald Trump gets a mention. So they made it a very political. Like, And it's interesting because I think that Here's 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 where it's 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 both understandable yet unusual. It's unusual in that you don't normally have somebody pointing out the 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 name of the the opposing candidate within the document within the platform document. That's that's unusual. Here's where where it makes sense though to me. For people who who are like me who have issues with serious issues with Donald Trump and are not ready to pull the lever for him. I thought you were going to stop at who have issues. <laughs> and then the and then the never trumpers, right? Donald Trump is a major issue. He himself is a major issue. And so they they are treating him as though he's one of the issues upon which they're debating. Not simply he's the he's the opposition, but actually he is the issue on which they are campaigning. And and the fact is, and you have said this before, we are in a very sad state of affairs in America when the two when the two candidates campaigns number one argument for their campaign is the other candidate. <laughs> It's true. And, but that's the reality of, of where we are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think it's interesting. I mean, they, they say things like, quote, Democrats will not stand for the divisive and derogatory language of Donald Trump. Another line says Donald Trump may talk tough, but he has consistently outsourced his own products. And yep. so they're going right after him. And of course, Donald's loving this. He's tweeting yep. about it, you know, on Friday, the day after talking about how ridiculous it is and um, coming up with some good quips and responses back. Ridiculous. So now she had one great line. I mean, she had some good lines okay, last so, night. Tell, so tell, tell, me, tell me one of the lines because I didn't. I to be honest, I didn't really watch it. Uh, what was it? It was, um, hold on, I'm going to find it. No, you're not. 
I am right no, now because no. it was good. It was like if you can burn um, – oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Anyway, it, it was basically if you can burn Donald Trump with a tweet, <laughs> he can't be trusted to you know have the nuclear codes. But he, she said <laughs> it, real, I did I mean, it was that. really good I did delivery. hear that one. I did hear that yeah, one. I was like, oh, wow, that was good, Hillary. Your speechwriters are, are on – par today they are on target um here's the here's the here's the quote that she gave a man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons yeah, there you go um and and that she's speaking back to that tweet delete your account which also was very immature so it's like you know look you can't let's not act like you baited donald trump we all know if you if you fart his name he's going to speak out yeah, about know, it, right and and so you know saying delete your account is what's going to spark something so it's i mean come on hillary uh, but you know, I, the fact I look, that that's where our debate has gone for the president of the freaking United States of America. But isn't she is responsible that for that too? Right, like delete up. your account. Both but I mean, of them. Yeah, they are. But I mean, the fact that the the nominee for the Democratic Party and the nominee for the Republican Party are. I mean, are the, 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 the debate is over. It's over their Twitter feed. I mean, get it, <laughs> people. We are so freaking screwed. We've been Kardashianized. <laughs> That's what been. this I mean, is. And by screwed, I, I listen. It's not the end of the republic. I really don't. I'm not. I'm not on the disaster train. But this does not. Neither of this them is, is going to. Neither of them is going to destroy the country. This, I will say that. I know some this, of you out there think they will. I don't think either of them is going to destroy the company I, country. I think they'll uh, definitely take the country in a direction maybe that we, we would does, want it. How about this? Does not bode well. <laughs> God, I can't. God Almighty. Do you know what's really depressing? Also, though, uh, I sent a million tweets last night. I probably annoyed everybody, um, and I've just decided that I'm going to laugh about all this. I'm sending inappropriate jokes and whatever. I'm thinking, okay, the one that goes that does the best is the ridiculous GIF of Hillary and Donald Trump as cartoon characters dancing. It got like hundreds <laughs> of retweets, and I'm like, is this a joke? Is this a joke, really? We are. Um, uh, it's National Chicken Wing Day, by the way. Good job, good job, America. By the way, just it's kudos, <laughs> kudos, America. <laughs> oh, we are twisted people, but you know, I look. It is what it is at this point. But oh, I have to say though, I love that. Remember the whole little Marco thing? <laughs> that now Trump has moved on to little Michael Bloomberg. Which he tweeted, little Michael Bloomberg, who never had the guts to run for president, knows nothing about me. His last term as mayor was a disaster. And it's like, all right, Trump is on to something for once. Oh, geez. Um, and he's and he no longer. I mean, I shouldn't say no longer, but I, I think last night during the speech, he was, you know, he always calls Hillary crooked Hillary. Now he's just referring to her as crooked. Now, the, now crooked's out there saying such and such and such. I mean, this sorry. Is, I mean, this, I, but these are the people who, one of these, as you like to remind me, one of these two will be president. And what are they talking about? Well, it's, it's a call you, you got me crooked on Twitter, so delete your account. <laughs> I mean, it's... <sighs> it's pretty depressing. Well, yeah, and But, like, I mean, honestly, during her coronation ceremony last night, I really felt like... There were look. I, do I feel like she's genuine? No, but I think she did deliver a good speech. Yeah. Feel free to tweet me and disagree, I, people. I, but I, I thought it was a good speech. I, it's, it's terrible. But the other, so you wrote about, excuse me, as the, as the platform was being constructed and you were seeing drafts of the platform. One of the things you pointed out was that the Democrats were insisting in in their platform for this year are insisting on the repeal of the Hyde Amendment. Now tell people what the Hyde Amendment is and why this is 
extremely interesting, pardon me, both policy-wise and politically because of her running mate. So the Hyde Amendment, it's not a permanent law. It's its a um, essentially a rider, I guess, that attaches to spending bills. And it basically says, and it's this started in the late 1970s, I think it was 1976. It basically says that, you know, hey, you're not going to use federal money um, to pay for abortions unless, and then there's the popular, you know, caveats, if there's a rape, incest, or I think the life of the mother. I'm pretty right. sure those are, the, those are the three. Originally, it was just the life of the mother, and I think rape and incest were added by Bill Clinton. It, well, Bill Clinton signed them into into law, I think, in the 1990s for the first time. But but those are the three. Now, the Hyde Amendment apparently is controversial because the Democrats have basically opened the floodgates on abortion. Uh, Planned Parenthood is wherever there's a Democratic presidential candidate. Planned Parenthood right. is not far behind, and right. so. You know, we saw Planned Parenthood having a very stark presence at the convention this week. In fact, I'm pretty sure Cecile Richards, the head of Planned Parenthood, was two seats down from Bill Clinton a couple of nights well, ago. Planned Parenthood when I was came watching. out and endorsed a candidate for the first time ever, right? Isn't that? No, they it? endorsed Obama too. Did they? I thought this was the first like official endorsement from Planned Parenthood itself. Well, you know what? It may have been. I think you're right. Cecile Richards actually, but and here's the thing: right. Cecile Richards stopped working for Planned Parenthood and took a leave of absence. If I if I could be wrong about this, I'm pretty sure she did. And went to work for Obama. So right. what's the difference? I think you know, <laughs> at that point, it's like, yeah. well, if your head has left and yeah. she's now moved on to work with Obama's campaign and then came back after, I, right. that's still an endorsement to yeah. me. But but yeah, this may be the first. Look, either way, at the end of the day, what you have is this amendment, this Hyde Amendment that has been in law for decades. The Democrats now in their platform have said they want to overturn the Hyde Amendment. And right. because it's not a permanent law, it's kind of interesting. You basically just have to refuse to sign spending bills, I guess, that have right. spend, you know, that have that have the Hyde Amendment attached to them. Right. Um, now they've said they want to overturn this, but you have Tim Kaine as somebody who, while he personally apparently opposes abortion, has been pro-choice in terms of policy. He has always a he has always supported the Hyde Amendment as right. far as as right. far as I know. And now the Clinton campaign claims he's reversed course right. on this, right? No. But he publicly. Right. Go so ahead. That, that's the amazing thing is that so he has publicly talked about how he supports the Hyde Amendment and the and the Susan B. Anthony list has documented all these things. And he's, he's he has said no public financing of for abortions. He said he said this in May of last year. Those are my values. And that's what I believe. And then the Democratic Party has has come out and said they they uh, re want to repeal the Hyde Amendment this year they, in their platform this year. And so now, like, there's all this equiv equivocation. And uh, it's, it's uh, Bobby, right? Bobby Mook. Uh, something, yeah. something Mook. I think Bobby, so. Bobby Mook, the cam Clinton campaign manager, has come out and said that that uh, that T Tim Kaine, he's a, he's currently a senator. He was the governor of Virginia. Now he's a, he's a U.S. senator. Has said he's going to stand by Secretary Clinton to defend a woman's right to choose and to repeal the Hyde Amendment. This is the Clinton campaign manager has come out and said that her running mate Tim Kaine will stand by her to repeal the Hyde Amendment. And so he was asked about this on, on CNN, excuse me, today. And here's what or. Friday. Here's what Tim Kaine said. One more issue, Senator, the Hyde Amendment mm -hmm. that bans taxpayer funding for abortion mm -hmm. for or against it. Uh, I have been uh, for the Hyde Amendment. I haven't changed my position on that. You're still for it. You're still for I, the I have banning. not changed my position. Um, have Senate. not changed my position on that. Thank you for that clarity. Um, <laughs> he keeps so, saying it. So he, he keeps saying it. He's essentially saying, the I don't know how else to. I don't know how else to read this. The Clinton campaign 
her Clinton campaign manager has lied about his position on the Hyde Amendment. If the Clinton campaign manager representing the Clinton campaign is saying that, that Tim Kaine is going to stand by Secretary Clinton to repeal the Hyde Amendment, and Kaine says, I, am, I have always stood by the, the Hyde Amendment, I have not wavered in that, and I am not changing my position, he's essentially saying that Hillary's team is lying. Well, and that, that also crooked, points crooked to Hillary, some crooked Hillary chaos. Team. Crooked, crooked Hillary's team. <laughs> yeah, and it, would point, and it would point to apparently some internal chaos, or, or, and this is the other thing that's very, that's also very believable. He is open to changing the, his position on the Hyde Amendment. He has changed his position on the Hyde Amendment. It has always been a political thing for him to say, for him to support. And as vice president, as as a vice presidential running mate. He's going to go out and say that he still supports it, but he doesn't really. That it's always just been a political cover for him in the first place since he was coming from a fairly conservative state of, you know, of Virginia when he, when he was governor. And the, and the fact is, he's moving, if he gets elected vice president, which he will because Hillary's going to win, he will go from being in a position in the Senate where his position on the Hyde Amendment matters to being a vice president where his position on the Hyde Amendment doesn't matter. So... Um, well, I don't think he will be vice president unless Donald Trump changes his mind and gets rid of Pence and puts him in because <laughs> I think Trump is going to win. But <laughs> the, the fact of the matter here is that, you know, you have a situation which just shows us how ugly politics is, right? right. Somebody who has a viewpoint they've had for their whole life. Um, and, and, and look, some of the people running for president on both sides have known to fl- have been known to fly with the wind. As huh. soon as a poll changes, they change. Huh. And so, darned. I mean, look. This is not something I'm saying. This is something that fact checkers have repeatedly right. said, right. and, and right. specifically on gay marriage when it comes to Hillary Clinton, because yeah. the Clintons, and this is crazy because I, you know, I'm working on another book, and one of the topics we, I get into gay marriage, the Clintons specifically were responsible, Bill mainly, for signing into law all of the things that gay activist groups hate and right. wanted overturned, right. and many of the things that were overturned, <laughs> in fact, in the last year. And the thing that blew my mind the most was that there was a joint statement in 2013 that Bill and Hillary put out right. about uh, when, when DOMA was first struck down. Right. Um, and in the statement, they're praising the Supreme Court for striking it down. Right. They're so happy there's equality. Right. And I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking, these People yep. are the ones that made sure right. Doma was law. Right. Well, but anyway, they, that's but, they never, rant, but they never meant it. They campaigned on it. They never. They never meant it. And that's the. And that's probably the fact. But you know. And, but you know. And Trump, as as we have documented on this show, and other and other people have even more uh, adequately and eloquently than we have. Trump has done some major flip flopping as well totally. on Supreme Court totally. justices, on on gun rights, on gay rights, on abortion, on every issue. On every, issue. every issue you can think of. He has changed his mind and flip-flopped on, including, by the way, illegal immigration, which is something that he is supposedly really strong well, on. Well, even right the now. Muslim ban. I mean, yeah. now now it's, oh, well, we're going to look a little harder at some of the countries where they're coming from, which I right. think is a policy that he knows right. more people wish Mr. to point. Mr. Build a Wall and Keep Out the Illegals uh, actually hired illegals, so that's really weird. So, you know, there's all <laughs> sorts of things. I love that. Uh, I, yeah, well, Hillary hit him on all those things. I mean, yeah. that's why I think it was Good effective. For her. She hit him on she had every to. single thing. She had to. I mean, that's that's smart politics. Smart politics for him is to remind the world that she is a criminal and that the Supreme Court is at stake. Smart politics for her is to point out everything about Donald Trump. I mean, she's got way more material to work with than he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway. You know what, though? There's something about him that people like. There's yeah, an Obama effect here. I there know. is an Obama effect in many ways. But there's also what, which is which is the order and the personality thing. But what they liked about Obama was the savior complex. What what people are liking about Trump is the fact that he's giving the finger to Washington. 
But I think they the think there's a savior complex in that. I think oh, there I think, is a savior I think, complex I think, in that. I don't think he's running necessarily. He's running on a strong man complex, a strong man, you know, mindset rather than a savior mindset. But I think that the people who are supporting him see him as a savior slash strong man. I don't, neither of which is comforting. Well, when a country feels weakened and a people feel weakened, and I know I've said this to a lot of my liberal friends and they've laughed at it, but this is the reality. When people feel weakened or that their country has been portrayed in a sense that is not strong to the rest of the world, they are looking for somebody who is going to be strong, even rhetorically, and that's right. what Trump does. I know. He looks know. strong. He sounds but strong. His, his strongman statements, as as in how he's going to fix something and only he can do it, that is strongman kind of stuff. You're talking, you know, Central South America kind of strong man nonsense and garbage. Well, you know what are you gonna do? Hey, we got it. We need it. We need the music. What's time to? Why don't transition. we? We will transition, but because we are obligated, uh, we need to take a break and come right back. Is that okay? Ugh, I guess. Okay, we'll be right back. The founder of this company. 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. The church boys. Man, I eat those guys. It's me, Chris, and I'm here to talk about a beautiful interview that we did. That's me, Billy. That's me, Billy. That's me, Billy. I uh, just wanted to tell you I just love it here, and I just love my co-hosts, and I just love everybody. You're becoming, you're becoming my mother, I see. <laughs> um, well, look, we've, we've got Laurel. an interview for you. Stop talking. This is, this is Laurel. <laughs> well, Delete Laurel. your account. <laughs> Your uh, but we have an interview that we did with with an author named Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, and she's got a new book out called Home. Oh, hold on. <sighs> Sorry, that's not a reflection of Elise. Um, that's just me being tired. But no, she's, she's got a new book out called Home, and it's kind of interesting. It's about the new heaven and the new earth, and you know, not it's not like an end times focused book in terms of like what I what I did. But so it's, it's more not, of an, it's not one of those books that the soundtrack would be dun dun dun. It's not that kind of book. It's not. It, Unlike it's a the book, though, Armageddon about, Code, about home. You know, where's home, and what is the, okay. what is Christian's inevitable final home going to be? And, and so called, it's the new heaven it, and the new earth. Is it and called? It, is it called home? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. And so Elise uh, talked with us about the book, about what she believes. We talked about things like, is there marriage in heaven? You know, all that, right? Which I actually think is something that people really struggle with, this notion of God gives you marriage on earth and it's this beautiful thing, and then right. you're not going to have that later, allegedly, right? <laughs> but um, Jesus was asked that question specifically by people trying to trap him, and he said, what are you worried about? I mean, that's, I mean it's already, that question has already been asked and answered in Scripture. But I think right, but I think the By God. people aren't, aren't comfortable with. I think that's the you know a lot of people struggle with that answer. God, gave, that's a reality. Though. Jesus wasn't clear. No, no, he was clear, but I think people don't like it. I think I think what's the notion of not. Tough? I don't care that people. <laughs> yeah, but look, but I think, but I think the human. I don't and, like and the I would imagine that, an understanding like, God would understand right, that, right? right? That people would struggle like, with the idea of not being with that person later on. I, I, don't, I, don't I like think the that from a human perspective, that's understandable. I think, uh, I think from someone unfamiliar with the teachings of Christ, I could understand that. <laughs> that's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I've struggled with that. I, I know okay. you're li- but I, I think it's, 
I think it's a struggle. I do. I, and I think it's a struggle for people and who... And I understand. But I here's why I'm laughing, right? Because we do this all the time. I'm really not I'm, I'm really not comfortable with the answer God gave. So could someone else explain a different answer that I'm more comfortable with? Right? Well, I think... That's what look, I'm There's a lot about. of things we don't we do understand, that. right? And, right? And I do... Some people... Well, why not? Why can't you have that later on? Why can't you have marriage well, later why on? Why you, wouldn't God set it up? I mean, those are the questions of life, right? Right. Um, but, you know, not being... <laughs> like you're saying, not being comfortable with something doesn't mean that you... But I think, but I also think it's healthy to say I'm not comfortable with this. I need right. to understand it more and right. to pray and, think, and ask and ask for that understanding. Having a better understanding of what Christ said or what what you know what's what is stated in the Bible, I think a better understanding is is a good thing. But simply saying I need a different answer because I'm not comfortable with the answer God gave, that's a very typical human thing to do. Oh, right? totally. No. And that's what I'm I laughing about is the <laughs> that idea. Well, look, I mean, some of these things are, uh, you know, just like reading through, um, you know, Ephesians and, and you look through the Bible right. and Romans and other places and, you know, the, this debate about predestination and does God know what you're going to decide or does God predestine people based on some right. mysterious, you know, his own mysterious will right. that we don't understand. Those are, these are things, I think that's another big area of struggle for people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And trying to understand what's going on there. I've always been more of the mind of God kind of knows what you're going to decide and, and he makes his will sort of center around that, but that may not be true. Um, I don't know. But anyway, let's... You know what You know what I know that God does want? I know that God wants everyone to read Armageddon Code. That is true. I do know that. That is true. Anyway, uh, I, interrupt, true. I interrupted your eloquent introduction of this new book. So No, I've been rambling about this. This poor woman's like, just play my interview. <laughs> Would you please just play um, the interview for crap's sake? <laughs> so this is Elise Fitzpatrick, and we are going to roll it. Okay. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Voice Podcast, and I have author Elise Fitzpatrick on the line. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Billy. Glad to be here. So I have uh, so many questions for you about your new book, which comes out August 2nd, and the title is Home, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfy Our Deepest Longings. Um, this is a topic that's fascinating to me because I just actually wrapped, I, my book came out May 2nd, and or May 3rd, and it was called Armageddon Code, and it was about the end times debate um, that you know continues to go on and on and on, and, and the book's premise was not, I'm not a theologian, so it wasn't me saying, this is what's going to happen, this is what I think, it was me interviewing everybody out there, the biggest experts about what they believe and why they don't agree, um, uh -huh. and so I'm fascinated by, by that subject, and I'm fascinated by the, this notion of, a, of the new earth and what that means. And I think a lot of people on some of these topics, and not just, not just end times, but heaven, hell, you know, all of these things, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people don't necessarily know. So I love that you've, div you've sort of dove into this subject matter um, in a really interesting way. So let's just start with, um, I think, a basic question of asking, why did you write the book? Thanks. Um, I wrote the book because I actually wrote it out of order. I was supposed to write another book before I wrote this one, but I felt really pressed into writing this book because I had gone through and actually am continuing to go through a pretty difficult time personally. And so let's say that for the last year and a half, I have gone through uh, a time of stripping that really made me in some ways long for my life in eternity, what you know we call heaven, um, had made me long for that in ways I had not longed for it before. But 
the problem was that I, even though I've been a Christian for mm, nearly five decades, and uh, and have a and have a upper level theological degree, I really didn't understand um, what it was that I was headed towards, and so I thought, well, I better do some work here, and I began reading, and uh, and that was what really pushed me into writing this book, because I was pretty desperate for hope beyond this world. And that's a really honest answer, and I, and I appreciate that. I think that's something that a lot of us sort of think about and deal with at different points when we're going through something difficult specifically. Um, when you know, we talk about, you just mentioned the things that you're going through, we talk about this broader narrative of what the world is going through, and it's fascinating to me you can talk to different people and even different Christians, depending on where they come from, whether it's a more conservative or a progressive you know, background, and you can get two totally different assessments of what's happening um, right now in society and then in a broader sense in the world. I think you know, my personal sense has been that things, something doesn't feel quite right um, across the right. board. And I think, I think most Christians are feeling that, where there's this inkling of what's happening here everything seems broken and disjointed in every part of society and culture and so i guess i would ask you what what do you think is going on in our world right now um you know it's interesting because i guess it's the way that you look at it um we certainly are going particularly i think in western civilization europe and america um we are going through a very difficult time uh, on on loads of different levels. You know, uh, certainly politically, um, uh, militarily, uh, with the rise again of uh, of Islam, um, and then of course with the fall of a lot of what we might call celebrity pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and even in my own church, um, I certainly did not have a celebrity pastor, but uh, my pastor had to step down. And um, so, yeah, we're seeing that everywhere, I think, in ways we hadn't seen it before. And, you know, if, if you look at it sort of historically, uh, you know, Muslims or uh, people who profess Islam uh, m- killing Christians— or even Buddhists or people of other faiths, is certainly not something that's new. I mean, that's been going on for thousands of years, which was one of the reasons why the Church eventually responded with the Crusades, which certainly are not something to be proud of. <laughs> right. but, um, but, you know, that's why they responded that way, was because the Ottoman Turks were coming into Europe and slaughtering people. So, you know, on one hand, we want to say... This really isn't that new as far as historically. On the other hand, we want to say it really does seem like it's heating up here in Western civilization, and and particularly here in America. Uh, I mean, I, I think everybody just sort of wakes up and, and sort of groans when they see what the news is again today. And that is a concern to me primarily because, you know, Jesus said when... Uh, lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. And my concern is that we not become apathetic in the light of the bad news we're getting every single day, 
and uh, and the lawlessness that we're seeing all around us. I mean, when did you ever hear of uh, policemen being slaughtered on the streets or uh, the political situation that's going on? What we want to do is be careful that uh, we keep our hope in front of us, and the hope in front of us is not for this world per se, not as we see it right now, but for the world to come. Yeah, no, and I think that that is, and it's almost my my next book project, and you'll appreciate this because it was supposed to be my first book project, just like <laughs> what happened to you, um, is kind of about how the informational channels have really been dominated by a sentiment mm-hmm. that turns our attention away from faith and away from Christianity and, you know, whether it's universities or entertainment or media, how we've sort of been, we've bred a generation, at least of millennials, and I am in the upper end of the millennial scale, who kind of don't think about those things in a traditional way, because we are distracted and there's so much going on. And I think the bad news is another part of that, um, that can be very discouraging. And so when we talk about home, what the ultimate home is for everybody, not the houses we live in, but you know, where we will all end up when all is said and done. What can you tell us you know, about that and, and about just your research and, and putting this book together, what you found? Yeah, you know, I think that when you talk to most Christians and you ask them, what will eternity be like, what will they say? They say, well, we're going to be in heaven and we'll be with Jesus and, well, you know, it's going to be kind of like an eternity-long worship service or something. And then there's also that whole floating on a cloud thing, which, you know, is really not a Christian construct at all. And so before we actually talk about the new earth, we want to talk about the intermediate state, which is the state of uh, our souls after we die before the resurrection. So when we die, we go to what Jesus called paradise, what he also called Abraham's bosom, where we are in essence disembodied. And I think in one way that's kind of how a lot of people think about heaven and the new earth and what they're going to be doing. They think they're going to always be disembodied souls sort of floating around somewhere in the cosmos. And that's actually not... um, That's not our permanent state, though. That is just an intermediate state that we will be at until the return of Jesus. And, you know, honestly, where you want to put that in your eschatological timeline uh, is fine with me. This book really isn't about that. I have my own views on it, but I think that that's really something that so many Christians, you know, believing Christians have pretty different views on. I didn't really want to talk about that. I wanted to talk about what happens after that. And what happens after that, Jesus returns and we uh, we get our DNA back. <laughs> we get our bodies back. We get... Um, we become physical once again. And not only are we physical once again, but we also go to, are brought to, the new earth. And, you know, when Jesus returns, he will certainly uh, scrub this earth. But I have a hard time believing that the world, that actually the universe, that God created and called very good, is going to be completely thrashed and done away with 
because of Satan's attack on it. Rather, I think that in the way that God cleansed the earth with the flood, with Noah, he will cleanse this earth, make, remake it, make it new again, make it beautiful again, the way it was before the fall. And we will then, in our physical bodies, live on this earth forever. And, you know, in one sense, we sort of think, well, you know, I don't know that. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that's going to be great. But what's going to be really great about it? I mean, think about this. You'll be able to talk with people you've wanted to talk to, or maybe even people you don't even know exist or existed, uh, you'll be able to talk with them, uh, sit around, have wonderful conversations with people who have loved the Lord. You can hear about the Lord from them. And then maybe while we're sitting around talking someday, the Lord himself will come walking up and he'll say, uh, hello, children, and we'll say, well, Yes, hello, Lord. Uh, We were actually just talking about you. And he'll say something like, well, I've brought lunch. Let's have a picnic. I mean, that's how physical and concrete it's going to be. And then then just to get a picture of what our bodies will be like. You know, Paul talks about our bodies being like seeds. And, you know, if you think about, like think about an acorn – And how when an acorn, when you look at it, it looks like nothing. But when you plant it in the ground and it grows, it produces this beautiful oak tree, which where I live in Southern California, we have loads of these oak trees. And they're so beautiful and strong and big. And um, in the same way, our bodies are like that seed and Jesus plants us in the ground. And we will grow from the DNA that was ours. We will grow into ourselves, but much more than ourselves. Stronger, wiser, more beautiful, not omniscient. We'll still have the great joy of being able to learn and work and explore. And nothing will ever be boring again. What you know, all of this—it's so fascinating because I know one of the number one questions, and I'm sure you've encountered this or thought about it or had people ask you—is you know, is there marriage in the new earth? You know, do, are you married to the person you were married to when you were alive? And the same goes for heaven when you die. You know, which, which, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, the idea here is that is that heaven and earth um, are obviously separate places. You you go to heaven when you die. It's an intermediate space. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth that I would assume is one. In, in this instance, uh-huh. but, but take me through uh-huh. that. And I guess, so I guess the, before you take me through it, the other question, you know, is there marriage? I mean, how can we know that? Is it something we can't know? Yeah. So, you know, Jesus taught us to pray about heaven and earth becoming one, you know, let heaven come to earth. And that's exactly what's going to happen. happen. Heaven and earth will be joined. And, you know, one other thing about that, and then let's talk about the marriage issue. Um, you know, when the Bible talks about the word heaven, it talks about it actually in a couple of different ways. It talks about heaven in the sense of, you know, the sky and the planets and where the birds are and all of that. And we know that there is a heaven that's a different dimension than that, because the Bible tells us that when when God created 
that God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, you know, God wasn't homeless before he created the heavens. So in one sense, the Bible talks about heaven as being uh, that sort of place up above us. And then in another sense, the Bible talks about heaven as the dimension that God lives in. And so we want to, you know, it's like Yuri Gagarin, the cosmonaut, goes off into space and basically comes back and reports that there is no God because he didn't see one. <laughs> well, we're not, we're not going to see God on the horsehead nebula. God is in a different dimension. But that dimension, that heaven, that heaven and earth will become one. So then what happens to us on earth when we are reconstituted, if you will, resurrected with new bodies? Will we know people? Yes, of course we will. Will we be married? Well, you know, Jesus talked about that, and he said that in heaven people are not given in marriage. In other words, there's no marriage in, in heaven. Now, I've been married for almost, well, actually 43 years, and um, and I'm sure that Phil and I, my husband, are going to be great friends in heaven. But heaven is, and heaven won't be genderless. In other words, women will be women and men will be men, but the sexuality that goes along with gender, I think, is done away with because we'll no longer procreate or try to uh, fill the earth with more people. All of the all of God's people will be there on earth. So, you know, to answer your question, will will we get married? No. Will we? know who our husband or wife is, yes, will we know who our friends are, and I'm quite sure that Phil and I are going to spend an eternity sort of hanging out together, learning new things, exploring things, worshiping God, certainly, um, and we will know each other and, uh, and get to spend eternity together without ever having to say goodbye. And you know, that, that thought of never having to say goodbye is so precious. You know, my husband is uh, 66, and, you know, we've been married for a long time, but eventually, unless the Lord returns, one of us is going to have to say goodbye to the other. And once we get to the new earth, though, Billy, think of that, never having to say goodbye to people you love. And am knowing and knowing that we have all the time in the world to uh, talk, to uh, explore, to learn, to worship, to do all of the things that Adam and Eve were commanded to do in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Now, let me ask you, because I think this is all incredibly fascinating, and I'm sure you're going to have people who have already tried to debate you on some of this or say, oh, well, what about this? What about that? I think with all of this, that's the nature of the complexity and sort of and, sure. and, how, and how it's addressed and talked about. But when we talk about a lot of the heavenly tourism books, which have gotten a lot of positive press and some negative press over the years as well, specifically the last year or two, um, what do you think some of those books missed? Do you believe the stories, you know, Heaven is for Real? Do you not? Just take me through your perspective on some of that. Yeah. I, I, what I want to do, first of all, um, if we're, if we're going to talk about something that no one has seen, 
except there are certain reliable sources, um, then we need to we need to hang with the reliable sources. And what are the reli- what is the reliable source? The reliable source, as far as I'm concerned, is the Bible. And so the Bible tells me what uh, heaven will be like. The Bible gives me an, as much information as God thinks I need about it. Um, now, if there are people who say that they have an out-of-body experience, um, I, you know, who am I to say that didn't happen to you? But whether or not we can say that that experience is actually um, what we will experience when we actually die, um, I'm, not, I'm not willing to say that. What mm-hmm. I'm willing to say is there are certain people who the Holy Spirit has given understanding to, revelation to, and those are the people that I'm going to trust when I think about what heaven's going to be like. So, you know, am I willing to say uh, I don't, I don't believe what they've said? They certainly, they certainly believe something happened to them. I don't know what that is. I certainly would not build any kind of faith or theology around it. Well, yeah, I think, and I think that's um, that's fascinating. And who knows? I mean, some of these things could be visions that God is giving people, or experiences that He's giving them to build, help build faith in others. Maybe they're not the actual, you know, an actual heaven experience. Maybe it's the way that they're interpreting it. I, I've heard a million different theories. Everything from these are fake to um, no, they might be real, but but here are the things that could be happening. I think it's a fa- It's all very fascinating. Um, and I guess you know, we've talked about so much here. I think just the last uh, question I have for you is, what are you hoping people take away from the book? What I'm hoping people take away from the book is encouragement and comfort and hope. Again, back to what we were talking about. Because we're living in such a difficult time, I think it's very easy for us to lose hope. And particularly, maybe in America, we think, well, if we could just elect the right person, then uh, that person will make everything fine for us. And to really, in some ways, put aside that kind of thinking, that's not to say that we shouldn't be involved in politics. I think we should. But nothing is going to make this world into the new earth until Jesus returns. And so what I want to say to people is, be encouraged. This life is difficult. Certainly the people who walked through this life in Hebrews 11, they were looking forward to a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And, and they understood that they were exiles, that they were sojourners, that they were people on a journey, and that their roots should not go down into this present age, but rather into the age to come, so that they would have hope and encouragement. Well, listen, this has been great, and we will make sure we link out to the book, and we'll hopefully have you back on again to discuss some of this, because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we are back for just a few more minutes here, and uh, we want to close with a story. Our, our friend Mikey Weinstein has made the news again, and it's really not—it's not fair to say that Mikey has made the news, but this is a Mikey Weinstein 
Weinstein or Weinstein? Weinstein? Weinstein. I think Steen is right. Mikey Weinstein. I I, I think it's an it's, it's an issue obviously in his wheelhouse, and he has now joined the. Just a second, just a moment. Very professional podcast we have here. I'm going to answer the phone while we're on air. Oh my goodness. Hello, Fields. Hi. Is this for real? Can you hear that? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Is that Hillary? No. Guys, Hillary's on the phone it's with some, Chris. It's some ad. Your vote for Republicans will help defeat the Democrats, like Jay Inslee. Oh, say no to a state income tax. Well, I agree with that. All right. So Are you guys going to end up with a state income tax? No. Ugh, I wish it would so you could suffer with me. Washington, Washington State has no state income tax. We have a, a sales ta- a significant sales tax, but... What's your, what is your significant sales tax? I think here where I live, I think we pay about 7.8%. Okay, we pay 8 <laughs> <laughs> And In it varies to everything It else. varies around the state. There's a state income tax, and then different counties and municipalities can add to it. And I think ours is at about is close to eight percent. It's seven and a half, eight percent. Cry me a river, princess. You know, you really get screwed if you live in Yonkers or New York City because then you've got the sales tax, the state income tax, and you have the New York City tax or the Yonkers tax, which is another three percent. Well, they have a like a city a city income tax, or is it a city? Yeah, yeah, the city pays pays an income tax. (sighs) Gross. And and so does Yonkers. I paid it when I lived in Yonkers. So did Andrea. So did my wife. So yeah, you Yonkers isn't Yonkers and Music Man. Uh, yeah, probably. A lot of famous people have lived in Yonkers. Is it Yonkers' oh. music? I think it's Yonkers. Because it goes to Gary, Indiana. But I think there's a like a train stop in Yonkers. Or is Yonkers on another musical? I don't know. Um, it's on, it's, there is, it, it is in another musical, but I can't remember. All right. So anyway. So I interrupted. I interrupted. And, and now I've totally gotten everything off the rails. Now, we were talking about something Mikey had got. Oh, yes. This Air Force ceremony hubbub. Tell, tell people about this, because you're more familiar with this issue than I am, because, frankly, you care more than I do. But so, I might chime in with questions just for you to help ex- for, to explain it so that a dummy like me can get it. So this guy, um, he's retired from the Air Force, Oscar Rodriguez. He has come to do these speeches during flag-folding ceremonies, and flag-folding ceremonies happen at different events, funerals, retirement parties. Um, he's given this speech apparently a hundred times. He has his own you know, speech mapped out. It mentions God. Um, it talks about the flag. It talks about freedom, the country, love for America, all of that. Um, one of his friends approached him, and he was retiring, and he said, hey, you know, Oscar, would you be willing to speak at my retirement during the flag-folding ceremony? Uh, Rodriguez says, okay. He goes to do it, but before he goes to do it, apparently, this is the claim. Now, we only have one side of the story. Uh, the commander of his friend who's retiring finds out that God is going to be mentioned in this message, and he tells the guy not to, he tells Rodriguez, do not show up. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> do not do not give the speech. Do not give the speech. And apparently, um, Oscar Rodriguez claims that he and his friend had gone and, and they had said, hey, you know, what if we post notices on the door letting people know that God's right. going to be, be mentioned? What if we let people know? Um, they made a decision that he would show up anyway to deliver the speech because his friend wanted him to do that for his retirement party. So the guy gets up to give the speech. He shows up mm. and Oscar walks up. He starts giving it. And these military well, guys, and not even before, before even before he starts to speak he just stands there and they they know what's coming so these guys in in camo walk up and they stand right in front of him facing him (laughs) 
and then they drag him out of the room uh, while, he's, while he's delivering the speech. Um, so and this is on video. So we so have this on video. What's now, the, what's the problem? The pro- it's, it's confusing. The problem is that God was mentioned, right? And he was told not to show up. Now, the Air Force responded to this pretty swiftly within 72 hours. And they said, because First Liberty Institute, a law firm, got involved. Um, and, and they said, you know what? We are going to change our regulations to allow for religious speech. I think the actual, it says Air Force, Air Force personnel may use flag folding ceremony script that is religious for retirement ceremonies. Now, Again, this guy's retired, Oscar Rodriguez, so he's not really personnel of the Air Force anymore. Right. Um, and he was and he was the one giving that speech. So they're gonna change the they're gonna change the regulations. Of course, Mikey is not happy with this. He is saying that yeah. the current regulations do not allow Air Force personnel to deliver any other speech outside of what the Air Force has mapped out. A speech is not required during the flag folding, but it must be a script if they're going to give that speech. So but he's gotten but involved, but that's, and but that's he's what, But, I mean, the regulation as it is now during the flag—see, where here's where I think. You just—when you're having the flag folding, shut up during the flag folding, because apparently you can say whatever you want before and after, just not during the flag folding, except that the, the Air Force is changing that. But the regulation was that— Air Force personnel can only say this specific script while the flag is being folded mentions nothing about non-personnel. So Mikey's well, probably reading that as that means that only personnel, army or military personnel can speak. And they, if they do speak, they may only say this. But here's what the code says. It says that there is no specific meaning assigned to the folding of the flag. Although there are flag folding ceremonies options offered by various national interest groups, these are not official Air Force ceremonies. The Air Force developed a script that provides a historical perspective on the flag. But there wasn't are no this an official? In the Air Force requiring a script to be read. Right, but it wasn't says, this an official one? Yes, this was an official one. So then, well, it was an official retirement ceremony, I guess. I mean, um, but the flag folding itself is not part of any official. It's not required for any official ceremony. It says these are not official Air Force ceremonies. But, so but if you choose far, to include it, but as far as the regulations stood, as the as they existed when the incident happened, the Air Force guys who removed Oscar were in the right, and Oscar was in the wrong. Strictly going by the regulation of the Air Force. I don't is know it, because no, I don't know because of the That's fact a, that he's not a, personnel, he can do right. whatever he wants. That's what's up in the air because this, the flag ceremony is not a requirement for any event. If you're choosing to put it in and you don't if you're not making if somebody in the Air Force, if one of those guys had gotten up and they were active and they had spoken, they would have had to use the script. But Oscar was not in the Air Force at the time. He's not an employee. And this is an optional ceremony. Right. right. So it's confusing. I think the answer is it's up in the air. Hmm. Now, First Liberty would say, no, he did nothing wrong. Right. Um and, and Mikey would say, well, he wasn't supposed to. But either way, right. the Air Force says this is a stupid rule. We're changing the regulations. Mikey doesn't like that. He's saying they should have abided by the regulations that were there. I would say like a Facebook status of a person in the middle of a divorce, it's complicated. <laughs> that's, And I guess that's where we'll leave it. Um, so it's it's time for us to wrap up here. Billy's got big, important obligations, and, and I have nothing else to do today. So I guess I could just sit here and continue to babble as, as you leave, but I... Really God not, help us. Really not comfortable doing that. So we're going to go ahead and end, uh, and make tracks then. So Billy, any words of wisdom for the, if you say read the, read the Armageddon code, let's just, that's our words of wisdom. Read the Armageddon code and, you know, get smart. Read up. pride and prejudice. It's actually shorter than Hillary Clinton's convention speech. <laughs> well, well, Hillary's was shorter than Trump's though, wasn't it? I don't know. I blacked out at some point. What's <laughs> this? Oh, we are professional. <laughs> I hit the wrong button on the replay. Uh, let's try this button here. There we go. So, uh, Billy, I, I, while you were babbling on about this 
Air Force thing. I found out. I found the uh, the musical that mentions Yonkers. Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Yeah, I was gonna say that before. Of course, you're you're Mr. Musical. I mean, you're. But everybody's Great young. White Way is you. I mean, that's you belong He's there. Shut down. The Church Boys.